Caution. Learning in progress. Welcome back to Precision Planning's Smarter Every Season podcast. This is Paul Harms, and I've got Tyler Hubert in the studio with me this morning. And today we're going to be diving into smart depth and a couple little housekeeping things. One, we want to thank you for joining us again, um, hitting the subscribe button. That does help us make sure that we are uh, getting the information out to the re- to to the users without additional marketing or heads up or notes. And we'd like to make a little comment in our pilot. Now, this is our sixth episode. In our pilot, we talked about different varying show lengths. And all of our shows so far have trended to that longer scale of what we originally queued up. That's partially intentional. It's a downtime in the season, a little more freedom in in when and how we listen to things. So we want to take advantage of that and go into these longer conversations and unpack some conver- some concepts that are a little harder to do in a short time period. So bear with us as we get into a, a more urgent or busy times, we will shorten up and have a higher frequency. Um, but we want to be upfront on that and just to acknowledge that we're not always going to have a, a 60 minute conversation in the middle of spring. That's just not logical. So no, no you're exactly right, Paul. So today we have with us, Ryan Johnson, and Ryan Johnson is our commercial product lead in product support with us for the Smart Depth product. And just like we had Nate on last session with the EM FlowSense, Ryan's going to give us some share, some knowledge, and brain dump from the beta team, from the, the R&D team as they've grown and built this product, and now it's commercially launched. We had a webinar and a training session on this. This is hopefully not going to be a rehash or a duplication of that. So those are still valuable content. We're wanting to try and target those conversations that do take a little more to unpack or um, maybe got missed in the other pertinent information that are shared in those venues. So, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Glad to be here. Tyler, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, buddy? Good. Good. Hey, good. Surviving this uh, product launch of, launch of Smart Depth here. Good. So glad it's finally underway and we're uh, gaining traction. Yeah, it was actually really fun too, and I'll I'll plug training too. I thought you did a, a really good job um, unpacking um, some additional learning around um, smart depth the first time we had training. So kind of mid November, and and we have another one coming around. I got to do some quick mental math here. Um, that'd be the seventh. Yeah, the seventeenth Thursday, the seventeenth. Ryan is going to have another uh, another session of uh, advanced dealer training where we we talk more about smart depth so we get an opportunity here as you kind of alluded to though to dive into some of the longer questions um that maybe training is not the best forum to kind of hit on the uh the technical data that we got to get to so just a little plug for training there but uh uh yeah you did a really good job there so thanks appreciate it yeah so coming out of that one of the one of the questions that we do want to cover is okay so you had some experiences in the beta Right. Um, that's a that's a usually a multi-year process with us as we prepare and launch products. Can you can you share just some memories, some nuggets out of what the you and the R&D team learned and, and overcame going through that smart depth pre-launch? 
Yeah, last year, um, 2020 beta, you know, as you may or may not know, was actually the second year for Smart Depth to be a beta. So if we think about when we first smart started talking about Smart Depth back in uh, before the spring of 2019, we, we launched it as a beta. We had a lot of planners in the field running, but then spring of 19 happened and it rained everywhere from Texas all the way up through Canada. Everybody was just saturated and wet all spring long. So in 2019, we really didn't learn a lot when we just talk about uh, the automated control mode and that furrow moisture, uh, either planting shallower or planting deeper and what it takes to kind of, you know, get an advantage by doing that. So come spring 2020, you know, for the first time, we're actually to the field. We've got this awesome new product still in beta, but now we can start utilizing smart depth to its strength of chasing moisture automatically, you know, based on that, that smart firmer. So to really see data, you know, talk to growers, but also that data come in throughout the spring of, oh my gosh, the moisture here, it went high. He's got plenty of furrow moisture and I can see his depth actually shallowing up to react to that moisture zone. That was really exciting to see in that 2020, or I should say just last spring in that data set. And that was something I know talking to some of the engineers as they were going through and trying to understand how to build the control metrics of the system. They were still trying to learn, like, how do we configure the system to, to get the value out of it? Should we be going shallower? Should we be going deeper? That was a, a really awesome learning process uh, that has really kind of come down to where our guidance is now. That, that a short summation, is that, is that pretty accurate? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that, to be fair, is a little over my head, right? We've got some really impressive or amazing application engineers that can kind of figure out the details that are driven behind, you know, all the coding and the decisions that that 2020 software is making. He's too humble. He, he is really smart. Yeah, I'll second that. <laughs> <laughs> so coming out of the beta, um, those guys that did participate in the beta, what was the what was the expectation going into it on their part? Were, were they signing up for it just because it was the newest thing or was there a specific value they were targeting? So I think, you know, just talking to the beta growers ahead of time, getting them signed up for the beta, it seemed like a lot of the excitement there was to try to utilize this automated moisture control mode with Smart Farmer. You know, seeing that depth change pass to pass. And that, you know, that was great. But then we look at the kind of the the results after the beta and talking to those growers and it kind of surprised us, but a lot of them really saw a, um, a lot of value in the fact that it eliminates that row to row variability. Uh, so you can go through and do your true up and eliminate that row to row variability. And then the other thing they really liked out of it was just that ease of use, being able to make that adjustment from the cab, you know, they don't have to get out, change your T-handle positions after they dig. Maybe they're watching furrow moisture metric and they're a little dry, so they can just reach over to the 2020, click it down a quarter inch, and see if they can bring that furrow moisture back up to, say, 30% or something higher. Just never even had to stop, didn't have to get out of the cab. I just made the decision, made the change. I can attest to that, too, because from, from dealing with some of the, the meters in the past, like when we when we launched the precision meter, the finger meter, it 
kind of had the, the unique aspect of the adjustable brush and you could you could dial the meter in and we have some dealers especially in central indiana over there where i know they sent me some field data and an entire field um i think it was like eight and a half um was there was their sri it was it was near perfect planting but they were out there and they were adjusting even in between each fill up to try and maintain <laughs> perfection they were really targeting that um but what we would see when we look at a larger swath of data is field one, we're excellent. Field 50% of the way through my fields, we're doing all right. By the end of the season, it's really just falling off a wall. And performance, instead of being that 98.5 or above on our singulation, is consistently down around 96. The meter was still capable of it, but we as operators... And trying to manage a process and, a, you know, all of the fertility, getting the disking done, you know, whatever needed to be done tillage-wise ahead of time, you're trying to manage the full operation. That would fall apart and our focus would go to the highest priority, which wasn't always chasing performance because that required stopping, getting out, and going to every row and making that adjustment where we go to a V-set or clean sweep's a great example of we would never make those adjustments on the row cleaners. We had the capability there. As soon as we just put that simple controller in the in the cab, now those row cleaners are doing such a better job for us, bringing v- value and yield back in. And it's just the fact that we don't have to sacrifice a, another priority to make sure we're still doing the best job. So you're saying they got a little tired towards the end of the season? They didn't want to get out of the cab and make those fine-tuned adjustments then? Well, the, uh, the choice probably came down to it's – the end of May, and if I delay or go too slow in planting, I'm going to delay my planting date even further. And at that point, a loss in simulation can actually fall behind my planting date cost. So I could see some of those decisions, and it's and it's urgency, and yeah, maybe it's a replant or a weather events changing that priority. Where if we don't have to sacrifice priority for performance, um, I can see why they're the unexpected value of being able to adjust in the cab would show up. It's not intuitive. It's not something that you would normally go for, but I can I can see in some of the other products how that's been a big um, backside win. Yep, see what you're saying. So if we continue in on the beta concept, tell me tell me how or what we did in the beta to learn about the product. Was there a ton on plot protocols? I mean, how detailed were these? How did those dealers and our R&D team learn from those betas? Was that, a, was that an involved process or was that pretty straightforward? So I guess in the past we have done some pretty complicated and involved plot protocols, but kind of back to your, you know, finger meter analogy, you know, maybe that didn't get done for whatever reason. Uh, so this last year, really we just gave them the mission critical protocol to set up your, your planner in half and half. So we told the growers to do your left half of the planner in automated control, moisture control mode. So let the the software, the smart farmers, you know, make the decisions to drive towards the correct depth and put that seed in for a moisture. But we did let them kind of set their upper and lower limits. So they have the option to say, well, I never want to plant shallower than an inch and a half. So you type in never go shallower than an inch and a half. And then if you're never comfortable planting deeper than, say, two and three-quarter inches, you can set that upper limit. And then on the right half of the planter, he said, go to that field, you know, approach it as if you had T-handles across the entire planter, dig, 
And if you think you want to plan at two inches, then just set the right half of your planter in a manual depth at two inches. So we really encourage the guys to then just, you know, trust the software, let it stretch its legs, and then we could come back with yield sense and get some, uh, you know, data out of that and see, you know, did the decisions that the automated moisture control mode, were those the correct decisions? You know, when we have good moisture and we went shallow, did that result in a yield bump? Or were we dry at two inches and we needed to go deeper did that result in a yield bump? And a lot of that yield data and analysis is going on ongoing right now. I can kind of predict that maybe your next question was, well, what was that result? And I'd probably have to encourage you to just maybe stick around for winter conference and we'll see what comes of it. We'll ask the questions around here, Ryan. Thank you. <laughs> but I'm guessing a lot of the, the immediate value would have been, um, would have been available just from doing the early emergence counts on those, so just picking spots out in the in the field where you noticed we made significant changes within the system, and saying, "Hey, between the time I planted and the time it emerged, you identify two locations out in that sample field. It's pretty easy to go out and do an emergence check in there and get the. Um, it's anecdotal, or it's 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 not yield numbers, but it's you know emergence information." you could get that value pretty quick. Did you guys have a, a prescription on what we are a protocol for that? We did, yeah. And unfortunately, because of COVID, that was a little bit different than it has been in the past. But we did assign that to all of the – well, first of all, the, the R&D agronomy team did some of that locally, and then that assignment was handed out to the region, the RMs, the region managers, to go out to those fields. And we actually sat here – identified those zones where we found it very interesting um, data points that could be gathered for that emergence score. And we set them those latitude longitudes and actually had the RMs walk out to those spots and uh, do that emergence scoring for us to see the difference so it's a in shout those out different to our, zones. Yeah, it's a shout-out to our sales and dealer team for uh, getting that, that legwork done to get that data in. Yeah, it was pretty cool to see happen this year. Nice. So I was actually going to ask you, Ryan, to maybe put on a dealer hat for a little bit. If I'm a dealer and I want to get a few rows of uh, smart depth and I want to try put in some plots of my own, right? Is that kind of the protocol that you would recommend? Or what, what do you think, if I want a local plot to show smart depth uh, data and show the value of it to a, a customer, are those the steps that you would recommend that they repeat? Or what would you recommend as kind of a, a local plot protocol that you think a dealer would get the most out of? That could go a couple different ways. Um, you know, if I, if you're wanting to just get some rows into your dealership territory to learn from, um, I would probably just try to get a one grower, you know, maybe just do a half a planter and do it just like we had them do in the beta last spring where you do half the planter in automated moisture control mode, half the planter in um, a manual mode that you would have chose with T-handle setting anyways. And then kind of you can go through and analyze that data and come to your own conclusion. That would probably be, you know, end of season one good way to do it. But we can take it as far as doing more what I'm kind of picturing as a, a hybrid plot where you go out, plant a pass at an inch and a half, right next to that, plant it an inch and three quarters, two inch, and plant it two and a quarter, two and a half, two and three quarter, and, uh, you know, try to size it for your 
your combine head, but, you know, take record what the moisture value was in each one of those passes on that day that you planted it. And then when you come back with a combine, you know, see which one wins. And that, that would also be a plot that you could put next to your shop or, you know, along the busiest road and uh, put some signs out and, and gather data. I really see, you know, smart depth being one of those tools that as we learn more and more about depth, it's really going to be over time, we're really going to see it be a very important tool in our toolbox on these planners. But it's going to take some knowledge and it's going to take us putting in plots to continue to learn to really grow that. And when you say us, you don't mean precision planting here in Tremont. You mean us, including dealers, growers, our sales team out, locally figuring that out for what fits in their backyard. Exactly. Yeah, I was talking with my dealer hat there. (laughs) Us, me as a dealer. Yes. Yep. That kind of leans towards or or segues a bit on, on how we utilize it. So, um, we've gotten some questions come in since the launch on uh, how you would use and, and what's the common application of smart depth. And you mentioned about how to get some learning and experience with it, but your answer there intuitively answered one of my questions, which was can smart depth be used on some part or does it have to be used on all rows? Uh, yeah, I guess that question does come up quite a bit, especially on like the Kenzie planners where we don't have a pusher row unit option. So if you want to just put smart depth on your corn rows, which would be the back rows, um, that's perfectly fine. Uh, it's just in the setup, you would go in and assign, you know, rows one through say 16 as smart depth. And then your 17 through 31 or 32 would be, you know, we wouldn't assign smart depth there to work just fine. Um, or even if you just want to do a left half, of your planner or the right half of your planner. It's straightforward. If you're familiar with the dot one base software setup, it's as simple as just assigning smart depth to that row. Okay. Now connect that in with smart firmers. I know that's always the next question that I get in conversations is, okay, so I can put smart depth on one, some, or all of the rows, but now do I have to have a smart depth, a smart firmer on every row as well on, on every row that I have smart depth What's the combination there? So it would be driven by control section. So let's say you did smart depth on the left half of your planner and you left the T handles in the right half of your planner. So the left half of the planner we could set up as one rate section and the right half of your planner as the second rate section. We would want to have or we recommend that you have four smart firmers in that control section. Because the, the smart firmers, the four smart firmers in that control section will average the moisture of that section, but then we will drive to a single commanded depth for that section. So if we split a planner into, let's say you had smart depth across the whole planner and you set it up in two rate sections, then we'd recommend that you had eight total smart firmers. So four for section one and then four for section two. But if I have smart depth across my entire planner and I just want to have four smart firmers, I can control the entire thing as one control section, correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. And I said it, you know, we recommend four per control section. So if it's one control section, we recommend that you have four smart firmers for that planner. Now, the software, though, it's not going to lock you out from being able to use 
automated moisture control mode. So we intend for it to have a pop-up to say, hey, you haven't met our recommended limit of smart firmers, but if you understand that risk, you can hit okay, and we'll let you use, say, three smart firmers in this control section. Do I hear two? Do I hear two? Going so two? we will not lock you out. You will not lock us out. Okay. But remember, I mean, the more that we can average, we can be more confident in those decisions. And this goes back to your, your comment earlier about wanting to be – with the dealer hat on, needing to learn what's going on in the system and how how depth, how we learn how to handle depth better because um, I think Aaron Herman had a video out. He's one of our, our research agronomists where he compared depth planting to shirt sizes. Two inches is the most common planting size or, or, or depth that's that's chosen across the U.S. And, and even in our own studies, if we had to make an average recommendation, two inches is what wins the plots the majority of time. But it's not it's not a super majority. It's not enough to beat a uh, a veto or anything. It's it's a low fifty percent just over the over the 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 bulk, right? So that means almost half of the time it's losing. It's not the optimal and and. I've seen and done plenty of times where I chose the wrong depth. Maybe I thought I chose the right depth and just didn't do it right. But that's, I think, where Aaron was um, using the T-shirt analogy of if you had to, for me, choose choose a, a shirt size for my family. I get to choose one shirt size for my family. That's a family of six from four to 40. <laughs> and and um, if I'm going to choose one size that's going to fit everyone, it's either going to be a blanket on a five-sixth of the family or I'm going to be wearing something inappropriate. That none of us want to see. Exactly. <laughs> so it's about trying to find that, being able to, to have the optimal situation and let that depth system chase it. Yeah, I was actually looking through uh, Aaron's slide to try to find the exact number, and I think he's saying that 70% of the time – Large is not the correct size. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, we could almost kind of tie it back into like a, a seeding population, right? Maybe 32,000 is the most common. And uh, you know, more often than not, that's like you alluded to, Paul, what wins the plots. However, when we think about, you know, what we've done with variable rate prescriptions, you know, over the last five to 10 years, we know that there's a lot of areas in the field that have low spots that, that you know, drowned out that there are soil changes, things of that nature, that would warrant a seeding rate change. So while 32,000 may be the best for the majority of my acres, that doesn't win, mean it wins in every spot on all of my acres, right? That's kind of, I guess that's kind of what's rolling around in my head when you give that analogy. And that's not bad. That actually makes me think of a question back towards Ryan. So when I think of variable rate, I, in my head, because we've done this in the past, I have this this frame of reference of I need to have yield history and soil information, usually multiple layers of soil information, you know, multiple years of yield history, and I need to know all of the pertinent um, seed characteristics, for you know, and then I need the variability of uh, my fertility program to be able to, to write a correct variable rate program or, or prescription. I need to have those things before I can be really confident in what I'm doing. What are the variables? What are the un, what are the unknowns that we have to type into the algorithm to figure out and control depth correctly? Is it is it simply moisture? Yeah, 
It really is. It really comes down to making sure that that seed is in a, an environment where it's going to germinate. And we say based on the smart firmer metrics that that's 30% furrow moisture or higher. So that kind of gets us into this scary area where guys may ask, well, what if I'm already at two and a half inches, but I'm at, say, 15% furrow moisture? What do I do? Well, honestly, just go deeper. We got to get that seed into furrow, into moisture so we can get that even germination, which will then lead to the even emergence. It all ties back to even emergence, right, for our ultimate and that makes sense. The the emergence germination is driven by only two things, temperature and moisture. That's that's the, those two present and will begin the process. Um, and that's why we've focused on trying to shallow up as much as possible is to speed up, get access to warmer temperatures by going shallower, but maintaining a rigid need for a baseline moisture. Justin McMenemy had kind of joked about this a little bit last year at Winter Conference, too, when he talked about how sacred that two-inch depth is. And, again, I'm asking your opinion here, Ryan, so I'm not going to take this as fact, but what do you feel like has been the biggest hurdle when talking about depth with a grower and asking asking a grower to, just like you say, well, I'm at two and a half inches, I'm, I'm scared to go any deeper, is this safe to do it, is getting to the edge of their comfort level the biggest hurdle or what in your opinion is kind of the biggest hurdle when asking or posing a depth change to a grower? I, I really think it does tie back to the the second knuckle as Justin always compares it to. You know, that's the way grandpa did it. That's the way my dad did it. We plant it two inches. And if you look at kind of the, the data yield books from the whole industry, when they average planting depth, across thousands of acres, yeah, two inches average is the best. But when we use smart depth, you know, and we have adequate moisture and we drive that sheet seed to a shallower planting depth, there's a lot of opportunities there, like Paul said, to lower that resistance to emergence, um, have that easier to close furrow, and gain more GDUs quicker. But on the average, across thousands of acres, um, when those guys see in those plot books and the successful farming magazine that, that two inches is the best, you know, I think that's really what's keep, keeping them tight to that, you know, two or two and a quarter depth. So that's why we're trying to educate and push guys to do the plots, you know, try planting shallower. As long as you have adequate moisture, you should see a return on that. It's a difference in mindset towards seeking the optimal as opposed to achieving the average. Right. So in one pass of the field, I got high ground, low ground, or maybe a wet spot, dry spot. Two inches average is both of those spots fine. But what if I can shift that depth using smart depth and on the average increase that furrow moisture across the pass you got an exam you got a you got an opportunity to ride in a cab and the dakotas doing something like that didn't you yeah uh pre-covid days when we could ride in <laughs> as passengers and tractors <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's awesome to sit there in a the cab and really see the system work um you know if, as long as you've got auto steer and you can really pay attention to the data set or the the metrics that are in front of you you know you you come down out in the Dakotas, South Dakota is pretty uh, 
quite a bit of terrain in this particular field. In fact, it it's kind of like planting your finger. I think the whole field was 5,000 acres, if I remember correctly, and you had to plant. Imagine planting your fin- finger. It had that much terrain to it and waterways. But anyways, yeah, you'd come, you'd come down towards the bottom of those waterways. You'd see that furrow moisture come up, and you would see our you know, depth react to that and actually go shallower. And then as we came up out of those bottom areas to the, the top of the hillside, watch our furrow moisture just drop, 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 and our depth just drop with it. It's going deeper to get to that furrow moisture. So that speaks to another question that I get a lot of times is, what's our reaction speed? Are we going to be changing depth so fast that we start to create plant-to-plant competition? Or what's our target? What's what's the reason behind the target as well? So we take away that plant-to-plant competition by controlling the depth to a, a zone or to a control section. Okay. So we don't do depth on a row-by-row basis. It's a It's a it's a rate section that we control depth to. So we're really trying to manage that moisture zone. But the speed comes back to um, think about how much force it takes to make a, a depth change. So, you know, I've personally been behind a planter and you dig and you're like, well, I need to, I should probably shallow up here. And you go up to the T handle and you're like, I, I can't budge this T handle. And you're like, oh, yeah, planter's lowered. So I got to lift the planter, make my T-handle change, and then be on my way. So it takes a lot of force when we want to go shallower with depth. So picture planting through the field, and you want to move shallower. We got to push down on those gauge wheels. And that's against our downforce system that's pushing down, and also the whole weight of the row unit, and all of the seed in the hopper. So in order to, you know, have enough force to make that depth change, uh, we have to have quite a bit of a gear reduction to that motor to make that change. So we've beta tested a lot of different, you know, gear ratios and motors in order to do that. And we found, you know, a, an area that we're really happy with where we can make a change in an acceptable rate, but we don't do it to where we overtax the electrical system because it takes so much torque, if we try to do it super fast, we would just drop voltage on the entire system. So we're balancing all of these forces and how much power we have available to us to make changes when we may have a shallower, need to go shallower under a heavy downforce. So, so it's not a hard and fast, it will, it will change at this specific rate. It's tied to whether it's moving shallower or deeper and how much force it's trying to overcome in a current availability scenario well i guess i'm tying the how much force it takes back to the speed okay uh because of the the particular gear ratio we need to overcome that amount of torque and load to get there so it is closer to a hard number it is slightly faster than an eighth inch per second but not quite as fast as a quarter inch per second but you know in training you know that might sound slow to you, but again, we're managing depth to moisture zone zones in the field. Um, so I've heard somebody say in the past, you never stub your toe on a moisture zone out in the field. But if you look at maps and compare the moisture map to our depth map, and we do this actually in training, do a comparison, 
And you can see that we're hitting those zones. We're managing those zones correctly at the speed we're given by overcoming all those row unit forces. Will it keep up with and follow at high-speed planting? It will, but you just have to keep in mind that once we go to high-speed planting, that eighth-inch second or slightly faster than an eighth-inch second change per second is the same whether we're driving five miles an hour or ten miles an hour. It's just the distance you cover. It's just the distance you cover, yep. All right, so, Rand, let me, let me shift topics or, or alter topics slightly and say one of the questions that I know has come out of, uh, I believe, the first training session, and it was, it was not included directly in the content, but the question was really good and you want to make sure we cover that, was how or, or do we expect root development to be limited as we plant shallower? And will, there, will that affect yield if there is a root? limitation will that affect yield or what have you guys learned there yeah so we've dug a lot of seeds you know planted at different depths all the way from an inch and a half which we don't recommend going any shallower than an inch and a half you know down to three inches that's kind of where we 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 stay within that window and um by planting shallower or if you look at a shallow planted seed at an inch and a half compared to a three-inch deep seed, it actually ends up setting the crown roots at the same spot. You just end up with either a longer or shorter mesocotyl. Okay. So the benefit, so it's, it's really a myth of planting deeper gives you deeper roots. Um, we found that to not be the case at all. It's really overcoming the other downsides when planting deep you know, harder to get out of the ground. It's harder a longer to race the to the finish line. Yeah, it's harder to create that furrow. You might have to have more downforce to create that furrow when you're going deeper, which could potentially lead you to hatchet roots. Um, it can be harder to close when you have a deeper furrow. So I think just to kind of sum up, no, there's no there's no risk or disadvantage to shallower planted seed as it comes relates to the, the roots themselves. So you've mentioned a couple times of that minimum, minimum planting depth of one and a half inches. Um, and I, I'm very much assuming you're talking about corn, but I, I have in my brain a memory of a conversation that we had uh, midsummer where you were commenting to me that one of the one of the areas you expect smart depth to add a ton of value is for the shallow planted crops, those crops that are sub one and a half one inch, one and three, you know, down to that three-quarter inch. But that's south of where you're saying our minimum planting. Can you reconcile that that discrepancy in my memory? Yeah, sorry. So if we're talking about, you know, usually we're talking about corn here, and we do a pretty good job of specifying when we're not talking about (laughs) corn. But if I'm generally speaking and rattling off depths and recommendations, it's usually, you know, corn. But, yeah, back to your point. You know, a shallow planted seed or a pl- shallow planted crop really will really will see a big benefit from smart depth, and a lot of that is kind of what we heard from the beta and those growers. But where we're seeing the big benefit is just having confidence to plant that seed shallower. So, you know, we've got a quarter inch to a half inch of variation across our planter without smart depth. You know, we saw that in the last two years of beta, we actually put a sensor on a planter, we did a calibration. And we can get before and after data back from that. And we can tell you in the, in the data that there is truly a quarter-inch to half-inch variation across all the planters in our beta the last two years. 
And then we true that up with smart depth. We eliminate that variation. And imagine not having smart depth planting at, say, three quarters of an inch deep. If you're planting at three quarters of an inch deep, your shallowest row might be under half an inch. Yeah, that, that's a quarter to an inch and a quarter is my planting window in that scenario you just painted. Yeah, right, exactly. From your deepest to your shallowest row can have that much variation to it. I mean, the three quarters of an inch on some of those crops may be a little hard to get out of the ground, but that quarter of an inch probably is sitting in dust. Yep, exactly. So that's where your comment this summer of this will have extra value or, or extra pop in those shallow planted crops is because we'll have that normalized planting depth and that confidence in the actual achieved depth. Exactly. Yep. And so that's really your cotton, sugar beets, soybeans. Okay. So... My memory wasn't totally crazy. I did remember both sides right. I just didn't have them squared correctly. So question for you two here, Ryan. We've talked a little bit, bit about basically controlling smart depth with smart firmer. Basically what we're shooting for there is to be into 30% furrow moisture. And that 30 is kind of a magic number. Uh, the, the, we know that the seed needs to take up uh, a third. or th- It's 30%, right, Paul? 30% of its... Wait in water in moisture in water to start the germination process. Yes, over yeah. three days. That's corn. Okay, so I don't have to use Smart Firmer with Smart Depth, correct? You don't have to. Yeah, like we talked about before, we're not going to lock you out of any settings. So, in the scenario a guy doesn't have any Smart Firmers and refuses to buy them, he will still get value out of Smart Depth. Just for the reason of eliminating row-to-row variability and being able to make a change from the cab. Now, he'll have to get out and dig to make that decision that he needs to make a depth change. Uh, But Smart Depth 100% works without Smart Firmers if a guy, for some reason, didn't want them or didn't have them. So in that scenario, could I also do prescription depth control? Follow-up question, why would I want to? Uh, Yes, prescription control is part of the software. The why would somebody want to, um, you know, that kind of goes back to the dealer network and the growers and their imagination of why and where they would write a prescription for depth. You know, I'm, I'm in central Illinois. I guess we all are. We're not, I'm not real familiar with pivots, but one example for me is if I can control the weather under my pivot, maybe I'm going to plant that shallower because I can turn on the water after I leave. But maybe the dryland corn in the corners, I want to put maybe deeper. You know, I'm not sure, but that might be, you know, one scenario of a prescription. And then actually another uh, conversation I had with a beta grower last year, he was planting cotton down south. And based on their moisture zones, or no, I'm sorry, based on their soil types, they'll actually change how they plant or how deep they plant cotton something along the lines of if they get a hard pounding rain and that cotton's too deep in this type of soil, it'll crust over and that cotton will never come up. So they might write a prescription based on zones. And then again, um, maybe just a month ago, I was talking to an RM and he was talking to a grower down south about planting cotton. And this particular grower, pretty big grower, had a 24-row planter. He actually paid a guy to stand out in the middle of the field And as he planted into his bottoms, they would stop the planter, lift it up. That guy would run down the planter, change the depth, plant his bottoms, come back up the hill, 
and then that guy would change his depth again and plant the top side. <laughs> you know, so that particular grower saw a ton of value in smart depth, and, you know, maybe he would want to write a prescription for those soil zones, or he could just sit in the cab and bump up and down the depth manually as he came in and out of those. Well, I think bottoms. it depends on how much he was paying that guy to run back and forth and change the <laughs> T-handles, right? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I'll be signing up for that job anytime yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah. Anybody? Hats off to that co-pilot. Uh, you're going to get a break. Good, good long rest this spring. Yeah, he was ready for it. <laughs> I'm sure. Some of the uh, some of the other questions that have come up from from my experience in conversations deal mostly around compatibility um, with different row different row unit types and planter configurations. Are there any specific notes you want to cover on that that you that you've missed in training or that aren't weren't focused on in the webinar that you think we need to delve into or I guess we have had a few questions kind of roll in. I mean the the order guide itself has row unit compatibility called out, but if you got some questions about the Fent Momentum planner, if any guys are familiar with that or have one in their their territory because it's so similar to the the white 9000, or the, I guess the gray, precision planting gray row unit, uh, we are compatible on the Fent Momentum Planner. And then we still get questions about compatibility with Case. Um, it's on the radar. You know, think about the, the 1200 row unit. That design would be quite a bit different from where we're at today. It would have to be some type of screw adjust. And then the 2100 series, that's definitely on our radar, and we do hope to have a a kit for that in the future. Um, you know, just unfortunately, there's only so much we can do in the first year of our limited commercial release. And I'll be honest, most of my questions that I've gotten have hovered around that when is the compatibility for case. And and I'm going to summarize 2100 series planners we're looking at in a much shorter term possibility. 1200s, those are a longer development path because the additional hurdles involved in the design there. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Ryan, why did you want to be the lead of Smart Depth? Like what was there something that intrigued you about this this particular product or something you've enjoyed the most about being the lead thus far as we get ready for the commercial release? You know, I've always been a little bit excited about it because it kind of goes back to my personal experience with depth. And I might have to set the stage for this one. Sounds like a good story coming. Go on. <laughs> Kenzie Planner, Delta Force on the back, springs on the front. This is on your personal farm. Yes. My uncle's farm, yep. I'm out there every weekend when I'm not on call. Planting soybeans, you dig behind the planter, and, you know, you'll dig behind a Delta Force row, and you're like, I think that's okay. And then you dig behind a spring row, and you're like, well, that's basically on top of the ground. So you go change your depth, try to get it deeper. We've already got the springs maxed out on the pusher rows. Then you get to digging behind the pusher rows, which are springs that are in the tire tracks, well, we can never hit depth there either, you know, so we're maxing depth out there. And we've got our, our Delta Force rows, but it's also got quite a few acres on it. So even though I do the block check and I think I have them all marked to where two inches is, I lose that confidence pretty fast when I'm out in the field digging. So when you're digging behind <laughs> 32 rows of Delta Force Springs tire tracks on no-till, it's – like I said, you lose your confidence pretty fast to what's actually going on. And then you just kind of have to make a decision and go with it. So chase tail, chase tail, throw hands in the air, and right, be done. Yeah. So I'm a little disappointed that we can't put Smart Depth on a pusher row unit 
but at least I can eliminate, you know, 16 rows and have confidence in those corn rows. And I guess I'll just have to get used to seeing those spring rows, uh, the beans on top of the ground. Hopefully something will come of them. I do know someone in this room who's got an in with the R&D team that's working on that that might be able to have a conversation on that. Yeah? Am I that guy? You are that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty confident it wasn't me, but... (laughs) (laughs) It is kind of cool to see the difference, though, when those beans come up. I can stand there and look down the row, and I say, okay, that's a Delta Force row. That's a spring row. That's a Delta Force row. That's a spring row. We do get a much better stand out of those Delta Force rows. I don't think that's what we came here to talk about, but every spring when that crop comes up, those soybeans come up. I think that's pretty cool. No, it's always good to hear that from somebody who's actually digging behind the planter too. So that's, yeah. yeah. I just need a way to figure out how to take, you know, every other row to yield. I haven't figured that one out yet. The guy that was running around behind the planter and changing depth handles can run around through the field and hand harvest. Yeah, actually, see if he's available in the fall. He's probably looking for some more part-time work. (laughs) I say he might be available. (laughs) Call Ryan. He's got a job for you. There you go. So now I guess I just have to talk my uncle into buying Smart Depth because I haven't got that done yet. There you go. <laughs> I mean, we're in, you know. Christmas season is rolling right around. I was just going to say, I mean, we're in early December here. Maybe he's got a little bit of money to spend before the first of the year. You know, it's kind of that time for that 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 final push before you go see the tax man, I think. for. Oh, I was thinking a good nephew might, might have a, a bow tie underneath the tr- Christmas tree for him. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I work with you guys. You know what? We're I love you, Uncle, but not that much. <laughs> <laughs> a good uh, a good nephew that's only uh, uh, also has one on the way too. I think at home. So yeah, uh, the yeah. Uh, hospitals and doctors are getting all the money this year. <laughs> <laughs> They're getting the biggest Christmas Christmas bonus from the Johnson family. That's right. So, all right. Well, I think we've kind of digressed a little bit in conversation. Um, Ryan, did you have any closing thoughts that you want to pass along, learnings, anything that's really hung with you that we haven't covered or you want to reiterate? I don't think so, other than, you know, as you guys have questions, this is a new product. I would imagine there's a lot of questions out there. Just keep them coming in. You know, call the the support um, 925-5050 number and just let us know what you're thinking, what, um, what are you held up on, we do have a direct email to the Smart Depth team as well, don't we? Uh, Smart Depth at PrecisionPlanning.com. Do we have a direct email for that team? We do not. We do not. Okay. <laughs> we do have one, Smarter Every Season at PrecisionPlanning.com, which is existing. Smarter Every Season at PrecisionPlanning.com. If you shoot any questions you have on Smart Depth or any of the other subjects we've covered so far, uh, that will hit Tyler and, and I, and we will be glad to shepherd that through the system and get you the answers you need. Yeah, I've already had a few conversations with guys who have contacted us at, at Smarter Every Season. So, uh, yeah, appreciate the feedback. Yeah, hats off to you guys, and there might be a request to join us on a couple of those. Yeah. Maybe? Do we want to – if you're comfortable, let's just put that qualifier on there. We don't want anybody to – to shy away from getting back to us because because they're afraid to be on the True. podcast. Our passion here is to share learning, yes. and that doesn't always come from us. A lot of times, we're just the shepherds of it. So yeah, we can always be your voice. Just let us know what you're what you're thinking, what you want us to talk about. Yeah, so I think we've I think we've digressed enough. I would like to say a special thank you to the entire Smart Depth team on Ryan's behalf, and to Ryan himself for joining us today. My co-hosts that are not on air today, Nolan and Hans, as well as my on-air co-host today, Tyler. 
Thank you all for coming, helping, and for you guys for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again on another session of Smarter Every Season.